0: Turning your Bibles to the New Testament book of Hebrews, we begin with chapter 5 in our study of this book this morning. The theme of Hebrews is exalting Christ. And of all that we exalt about Christ, most precious to us is how Jesus leads us out of sin and guilt. We see his heart for that throughout his time in this this world. We we can think of how Jesus uh, let out Peter, who was a believer, but then actually denies Jesus, overwhelmed, we can imagine, by his sorrow and grief certainly wondering if Jesus will ever accept him again. Has he ruined his chance to be a follower of Jesus? And yet, after his resurrection, we see just Jesus personally engaging with Peter in such a way that he knew the Lord loved him, the Lord received him, and the Lord had much work, for Peter, who was a sinner to do. We can think of Zacchaeus, the man who defrauded countless people, and how Jesus picked him out of the crowd and engaged with him. Jesus pursued him to the point of inviting himself over Zacchaeus' house, so that man could come to repentance. I know the Lord Jesus and, and had the relief in his soul of all that guilt forever removed. Or we think of the, the woman with such a reputation for immorality that everyone knew it. Who came in to a home where Jesus was at a feast and began. To anoint his feet with ointment. And as the people around disdained her for her sin, Jesus speaks up for her. Jesus defended her because her heart had been given to him and she had repented of her sin. How wonderful is this grace of Jesus who leads us out of sin. It's what we celebrated today with Dana. Hopefully it's it's on our lips early each morning thanking the Lord each day That he has led us out from sin and guilt. This morning, do you need help getting out of sin? Do you need help unloading the burden of guilt? Our, Our passage speaks of how Christ and how he alone can do that for you today. Hebrews 5, beginning in verse 1. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weaknesses. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. Aaron being the first high priest who was appointed during the time of Moses. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Our Heavenly Father, we... We receive your word and we ask that you would speak through it to our hearts. We ask that again your grace would fill us, that we would have clarity of thought about you and what you have said, that we would have openness of heart for the, the full measure of the work that you would do. We ask that your grace would abound Hear to your people, for we need you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The description here, and we are in a, a large section of the book that focuses on this role Jesus had as high priest. Now, the role of high priest is one we see in verse. For is established by God. It says that no man takes us up. This is something that God appoints. In doing this, God has shown his concern for our need. God is the one that initiated the way to be restored to him. Because our sin created separation from him. And it is God who made the way for us to come to him and be restored. We have never initiated this. This comes from the heart of God. We should encourage anyone who senses that need to come and wonders, will God receive me? Will God hold me back? No, God is the one who has made the way for you to come to him. A high priest does this by representing the person to God. And in the old covenant, the high priest would offer sacrifices to the Lord to pay for the guilt of the nation on the day of atonement, going into the holy place in the temple or the tabernacle and making a sacrifice on the altar, paying for the sins of the people. The high priest was not someone who, in religious pride, wagged their finger at sinners, chastising them. The high priest we see was one who himself was a sinner, and realize his need. Verses 2 and 3, he can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this he is obligated to offer sacrifices for his own sins just as he does for the people. So generation after generation, high priests who were raised up in the nation of Israel making sacrifice on the day of atonement, having to plead for forgiveness for their own sin as they also made sacrifice for the nation. The high priests, understood guilt and need. This background about the priesthood is given to us to show how Jesus, when he came into the world, was fit to fill that office for for us to be the forever high priest, so that we would never need another. He was appointed by God, verse 5. So, also, Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by God who said to him, You're my son. Jesus was sent into the world for that very purpose. It's why he came why God became flesh and dwelt among us. And Jesus who came, appointed by God to be priest for us, he identifies with us as the priest did. Verse 7, he shared our humanity in the days of his flesh. Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. Jesus shared the human experience. We we saw that last week in chapter 4, verse 15, which gives us these, these wonderful words that we do not have, speaking of Jesus, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we, yet without sin, Jesus entered the world, truly God, but also truly man, shared our experience. He, he shared the limitations of humanity. He who had been the eternal God, limited to a place and a time, he, he grew weary, thirsty, he felt heat. He went through the suffering of humanity, of of grief, of being misused, of slander, of, of death, and physical suffering, of emotional turmoil. And as we see, he was tempted in all ways. The forces of hell aggressively seeking to get him away, to try to find some way to wedge him away from full commitment to his father. Jesus experienced all of this, and so he is fit to be the one who represents us to God. And yet, fit as no one else ever was. For Jesus is by far the better high priest. He is the better high priest because he is, verse 5, the son of God. His capacity to help us is unmatched by any created being who served as priest. And in his relationship to the Father, he is the eternal beloved son. His relationship we know was always wide open. He is the one welcomed to the Father and this one welcomed more than any other is the one who comes and represents us. How wonderful that it is no one less than Jesus, Son of God, who represents us going before us to the presence of the Father, offering payment for our sin. He is a better high priest because he alone was sinless, as we just heard, tempted in all ways, yet without sin. As the only sinless person who ever existed in this world, Jesus is able to represent us with a selfless grace that is impossible for anyone else. No one truly knows selfless grace like Jesus. There was, there was no interference with pride or false desires or misunderstanding. He sees us with a singular purity of heart in his love for us and his love for the father and bringing us to the father other high priests had to keep making sacrifices for their own sin and generation after generation year by year for centuries Those offerings had to keep being made. They only represented that an offering had to be made by sin, but no offering ever made was sufficient to remove guilt. The blood of animals can't take away human guilt. However well-intentioned a priest was in making a sacrifice, he had no power to take away sin. It was all bringing to our attention the need for payment to be made that God in his wrath and justice is set against our sin and that God would send one who could once for all take our guilt in full and cast it as far from us as east is from west. And hide it so that it cannot be found ever. If you have trusted in Christ, no one will ever find your guilt. Jesus made the final sin offering when he placed himself on the cross, and his blood flowed down. Jesus is a different kind of priest, which is the point that may as we're reading, we're thinking, well, what does this mean in verse 6, where the Lord says, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This is the first mention in Hebrews of this person, Melchizedek. Uh, He will be introduced at length uh, later in Hebrews. Chapter 7 will take a deep dive into his life and why he's brought up. And so, all of your questions about Melchizedek and who he is and what does that mean. Just save all of those questions and Eric will answer every one of them when he preaches that section of chapter seven. And we anticipate that perfect clarity that we will all have when he has done his sermon. Okay. If you had prepared, you could, you could have ridden that groundswell just to come up and say, well, let's go now. <laughs> but I'm guessing you're not at that point yet. <laughs> and so just briefly, so we have context. So who is this Melchizedek? Why is he brought up? There are only two references to him in the Bible before the book of Hebrews. So, if you're saying, "Where does this come from it It is somewhat of an abrupt insertion the, the first is the the his historical appearance of him in in Genesis chapter fourteen We're told that after a victory over some uh, pagan kings, that Abraham was met by a man who's not introduced. To us before, it just says he was met by this king of Salem named Melchizedek, who was also a priest. And then the other reference is Psalm 110, which we have quoted in verse 6, where scripture in this messianic prophecy in Psalms connects the Messiah who would come to this man who had existed centuries before Melchizedek and, and says, of the Messiah, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So we have him appearing. We have a statement that somehow he is connected to the Christ who would come. And now that Jesus the Christ has come, we're told here in Hebrews that indeed the Christ has this connection with this man who existed so long ago. So what are the connections mentioned Too, Melchizedek had a more exalted position than any priest in Israel because he was not only a priest to the Lord God, we're told he was also a king. He was a royal priest, priest and king, which the priesthood of Aaron, no one filled that role. And secondly, we will see in Hebrews seven, it tells us that Melchizedek is symbolically without beginning or end. We don't have his genealogy, we don't know from where he came or, or where he went. So symbolically, he's one who just appears without beginning or end. And so here's the connection of how Jesus is a priest in that way. Jesus is an exalted king who is priest, and he is priest forever, without end. He is a a priest greater than any other, and a priest who forever fulfills his role. Jesus was not a half-hearted high priest for us. Verse 7 In the days of his flesh, he offered up prayer, supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Jesus entered suffering for us. There was no suffering in heaven. There was no temptation there. There was no agony. There were no loud cries of torment. There was no weakness of body, no limitations. But in order for the eternal Son of God to be high priest representing us for our sin, he had to come into the world as a man and experience these things that we do. It says he learned obedience from suffering. It doesn't mean he learned how to obey. Jesus never had to learn how. He kind of wasn't, and then eventually he was. He was fully and always obedient in every way without sin. The learning of obedience is that he experienced what it was as a human person to obey and to be faithful in a way that as the eternal son of God, he never had to. And so the, the learning is meaning he experienced. Let's say I spent a day watching YouTube videos on how to perform, perform surgery. And then Patty, who was gonna have bypass and some leaky valves replaced soon, and I came to Patty and said, I can save you some money. <laughs> I've learned how to perform bypass surgery. You haven't learned how until you've actually physically experienced and worked through the process. You don't learn how to build a house by reading a book with diagrams. You, you have to actually be in it. You have to be doing what building means. You have to be in the practice of, any surgeons here, that horrible work of cutting someone open and getting your hands in there. We're glad some of you can do that. We were watching the rings of power and he got shot with an arrow. Uh, I, I don't like to see things on TV of people being pierced by knives, arrows, needles. And I don't know what that has to do with the sermon, but somehow it, it managed to find its way in. I think the connection is, but Jesus can help us in that somehow. Think we're back learning obedience and what it takes and what it meant for Jesus to learn obedience. As a man, he experienced what it meant to obey the Father and everything through all the suffering that he went through. And connected to that, he persevered in suffering for us. Verse 9 says he was made perfect. Again, Jesus didn't need to be made morally perfect, he is made positionally perfect. He is made a perfect high priest who can represent us as one who understands what it is to be tempted to suffer, to endure, and as one who understands he he represents us to the Father. He faced his burdens and trials without any failure. So as priest and king, as one prepared and perfected in his humanity, Jesus offered himself for sin. In 1st Peter chapter 3 verse 18 we read these wonderful words. Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous, him, for the unrighteous, us, that he might bring us to God. Not that he might send us to God, but that he would bring us to God personally. So how does considering Jesus' priesthood help us? That's what kind of end with some thoughts of hearing about Jesus as a priest, and so thinking of all I know about Jesus and His work to bring salvation to us. He's He's fulfilling in that this role, of priest, the person who represents people to God. Uh, why is it important, particularly this morning, as? Most here are believers who are forgiven, who have trusted in Christ. Why so much time given to this? Why is it helpful for us to think in these ways, to have this category in our understanding of Jesus? The first is that in being reminded that Jesus serves as priest for us and what it means to do that, we see that Jesus himself walks down our dark paths. He knows what it's like for you on your dark paths because he is there. He offered up Prayers, supplications with loud cries and tears. That, that was not show. That was Jesus agonizing over what it meant for him to go forward in obedience to the Father. The Lord humbled himself to become one who obeys the Father, the one on the throne, steps down and made himself of no reputation, but humbled himself to the point of death, death on a cross. Jesus immersed himself in the trials of human experience and burden. He did not shy away He did not make some arrangement with the Father or with the angels that, well, I'll spend time on earth, but certain things can't happen. There are certain burdens I'm just not willing to go through. We can do this, but I need to be protected and buffered all the way. Jesus poured himself into the griefs that burden your soul. Because of his heart for you in your burdens. In both enduring sorrows and in persisting in being faithful, Jesus knows life. He knows your life and your weight, and he's. There, in it, with you, and I realize that it, it doesn 't always feel like he 's there with you that 's part of why we we have scripture to remind us not of what we feel but of what 's true it's it 's part of why we gather to hear it preach and why We sing together to be reminding ourselves not of just what we feel, but what is true of him, of Christ, that we might be renewed in what is true of him. Jesus is there with you. And since that is so, Shouldn't that be central to how we live? Shouldn't that be very central to what's going on in our thoughts and how we're responding? Shouldn't the reality Jesus is there be the dominant reality of what is hard for you, this Lord Jesus, as Jesus prayed himself, Lord, can you remove this cup? He he knows what it is like to not want to be in it. And he's there with you in it. Believer, Christ follower, Will you go through another day ignoring that he's there or acting as if he's not? Or will you engage with the one who's there? Will you battle for that? And some mornings it's a bit of a battle. Battling for knowing and believing he's here. That's worth battling and know this you're not battling your sin there because Jesus has taken care of that you're battling the enemy who wants to distort your your thinking you're battling a sinful nature that's resistant to submission to the rule of God but engage with him Every day, you, you, Lord Jesus, today, now are the exalted one, and I am yours, and you will be with me in all that happens. A second consideration, important for us, as we think, why is it important to have this category, Jesus as priest, not only does he, he walk down our dark he leads us along them. He's not just there with us as company. He knows where he's going. He's taking us somewhere. He's leading us. He's a priest. He represents us to the Father. He is the one who brings us, who takes us to the Father. Verse 2 says, we are wayward and ignorant. Inside, we should be saying amen to that. We are wayward and ignorant in our choices and priorities because sin deceives. We don't need to be leading ourselves through life, we need to be following the one with us who's leading, the one who's not wayward the one who has no ignorance, the one who's clear of mind and understanding, who's, who's strong of heart, who's not intimidated by anything that comes against you, whose foot will be upon the neck of all enemies and all evil. Only Jesus has sinless wisdom. Only Jesus even knows what that feels like. Sinless wisdom, perfect wisdom. Only Jesus has that. The popular, the well-intentioned, you know what? They're also wayward and ignorant. They're like us, struggling. They're trying to make it work. They're trying to figure it out. They're trying to be wise, but only the one without sin who knows and sees the Father clearly. He is the one worth following, and he is the one who leads us, who is with us. Jesus knows what he's doing, so stick to Jesus. He knows how to get out of the maze. And verse two tells us that Jesus can do this gently. Gently, he knows how to lead us. Gently, he knows how to deal with the stubborn, with the one that at times can be hard-hearted, the one who has failed again, the one who maybe other people have given up on Jesus, knows how to deal gently with us. Because no one is more for you than him. Jesus, he is careful in how he deals with the wounds of your soul. He doesn't disregard Those hurts and pains in you. He is careful to comfort and to be tender with those wounds. And lastly, Jesus, who walks down our paths and leads us along them, he will bring us to a place of rest and rejoicing. And being made perfect, he becomes the source of eternal salvation. The best that the world can offer us. This is the best the world has for where your life is going. This is the very best thing they can say. Rest in peace. That's it. They don't have anything else. Just some vague rest in peace, you're in a better place. I don't know what's going to happen there. I just want to avoid the awkwardness of you losing someone you love or you dying and I want to get out of the burden of I don't know what to say but just it's a better place rest in peace. They have nothing to give and in that Assurance, rest, and peace. They show their waywardness and ignorance. Because if you pass through death without Christ, there is no rest. There is no peace ever. And there's no opportunity to find it. The Savior leads us to the Father. And if you have pushed off or ignored the one heaven sent to save, there is no one else who can save. Jesus brings us to where he is. And that is not only rest, it's also rejoicing. It's not just problems are done, it is you're with Jesus. In the joy of the glory of his presence forever. It is rest. It is rejoicing. And only Jesus can take us there. He brings us to where he is. And he brings us to what he is. As 1 John 3, 2 amazingly tells us. Beloved We are God's children now, and what what we will be has not yet appeared, but when we see him, we shall be like him. Jesus brings us to where he is to be like what he is. That is rest and rejoicing. life takes us to a person that's where life's headed it's not to some end of your devising it's taking us to a person yet we stubbornly live as if that's not true we stubbornly live as if life is about i'm i'm doing something i'm getting something i'm accomplishing something I have this career. Life is this career. Life is accumulating this. Life is getting this joy, this experience. It's having this stuff. It's having this relationship. It's receiving this honor. It's retiring to this. It's not having to fight with those problems anymore. We're thinking as though life is taking us to these things we're planning. No, it's not. Life takes us to a person. His name is Jesus. He is the judge of every created being and we stand before him to be received or to be cast away. We come to a person. That's where life is headed. So each day, live as if you're headed not to things or plans. You're headed to a person. Live as if you're going to him. And so are you stuck in sin? Mired in guilt? Are you lost in life? Jesus will lead you out. And this this is how it happens. Right now, confess your sin and need and say, Jesus, I want out of sin. I want the guilt gone. I want hope. Would you save me? I need you to save me. And his answer is always yes. Forever I will. So would you not call on him to lead you out and save you? In this moment, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, you know hearts here. You know the hearts. Maybe have stubbornly, stubbornly resisted you. Those maybe are angry. Those who have not been impressed. Or even those, they come and they think, I'm, I'm a good person, a Christian, yet they... They've never really entrusted themselves to you. Lord, pull down every falsehood that has kept anyone from you. And may they see for the first time, Jesus, the most desirable one, the one we need. Give them grace to believe, to call out, and may they know that you save to the uttermost. And for each one who is yours, refresh us in knowing you, a worthy one, you are with us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.